Hey there, fellow seekers of meaning in this seemingly meaningless world. I want to introduce you to the captivating and thought-provoking Lost End Podcast. It's not your typical podcast. It's a journey through life-changing and otherworldly experiences, exploring the profound transformations they can bring. Imagine delving into the minds of people who have found meaning through extraordinary encounters like near-death experiences, psychedelics, astral projection, meditation, and even encounters with the supernatural. This podcast is all about unraveling the mysteries of existence, one story at a time. In each episode, they sit down with individuals who've navigated the labyrinth of life and emerged with new perspectives. From a former Mennonite who survived an overdose to a preacher turned psychedelic explorer, their stories will leave you spellbound or open the door to your own labyrinth. They're not just here for the during of these life experiences, they're all about the before and after, uncovering how they reshape lives. And here's the twist. They're not just passive listeners. They aim to replicate some of these experiences themselves, within reason, embracing the quest for their own lost end. If you're on a similar journey or have a story to share, they invite you to join them on this astonishing podcast adventure. So, if you're searching for meaning, questioning the status quo, or simply curious about the mysteries of life, tune into The Lost End Podcast and embark on a captivating voyage with them. You won't just listen, you'll experience, evolve, and explore the uncharted territories of existence. Don't miss out. Subscribe today and find your own path to the Lost End. All links to check out Lost End will be in this episode's description. Billy Dean Shoemate III here, and welcome back to another episode of Strange Places. Please disregard my frantic mouse clicking in the background. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. But I uh, got a lot of stuff to pull up. This podcast is brought to you by Asylum 817 Productions, Spotify, Prevail Guitar Works, and DistroKid. Now, I want to preface this with uh, just telling you that nobody bats a thousand. <laughs> I never claimed to be the grand poobah of, um, you know, paranormal investigation. I'm just good at research. Well, like I said, nobody bats a thousand. I don't care how good at research you are. And I got to tell you something. I got to be really honest with you guys about something. I respect my audience. And the only time that we've done ever a part two on an episode is the death of Elisa Lamb. Because there was just so much there. There was so much there that we had to do a part two. I mean, that case, there was just so much to it. This one, I just, ever since I hit stop, man, I just had this funny feeling. And I'm not trying to be dramatic or do this for dramatic effect or anything, but ever since I got done with this episode, I mean, literally from when I was editing it, the Green Children of Woolpit episode. I was like, man, something doesn't feel right. We, I missed the mark here. We missed something. We overlooked something. It just, this doesn't, I didn't feel really good, you know, about the, what did we rate it? Inconclusive? There was just a couple things that were standing out bugging me. 
I recorded a couple more episodes. Um, I like to keep one episode in the can, you know, just in case I get sick or something like that, or I have to tend to some kind of emergency or something happens. You know, I, I always have one ready to go. And yeah, you know, I, I even recorded one of those because I had to use one uh, just recently when I had that really bad flu, you know. And God, ever since, man, I just I had a weird feeling about this one. Ah, messing with my computer still. Sorry about that. A couple of things were just standing out to me. Now, for some background, if you didn't listen to the Green Children of Woolpit episode, I'm not going to require you to listen to that. So let me, uh, if for the people who have listened to that episode, you know, just bear with me for a second. I'm going to give the, uh, you know, people just listening to this one, the Reader's Digest version. If you hadn't haven't heard about the Green Children of Woolpit story, you ought to. Uh, but if you haven't, it's a really famous one. The Legend of the Green Children of Woolpit concerns two children of unusual skin color, a green, who reportedly appeared in the village of Woolpit in Suffolk, England. This is in the 12th century, perhaps during the reign of King Stephen. We're talking 1135, 1154 is when King Stephen reigned. It was a long time ago. The children, bound, you know, found to be brother and sister, were of generally normal appearance except for green skin. They spoke in an unknown language, would only eat raw, broad beans. Eventually, they learned to eat other food. Like they lost their green color. The, and I'm giving you, you know, the, just a very basic version here. The boy eventually got sick and died. The sister survived. She was baptized. She adjusted to her new life, eventually learned English. The girl, she explained that she and her brother came from a land where the sun never shone and the light was like twilight. According to, well, every version of the story, everything there was green. According to another, she said it was called St. Martin's Land, that they were from this other strange place. <laughs> and the story has been recounted so many times. So, okay, so the, the best way to tackle this is the things that, and I think we can, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I think we can change our um, verdict here. I think we can completely turn it around. Because like I said, this one was just bugging me. And I went back to the drawing board. I pretended like I never did this episode before. And I researched it. You know, like I said, nobody bats a thousand. I was just getting over being sick. You know, maybe I was just, yeah, I don't know. I just, I maybe I was lazy on this one. I don't know. But like I said, I respect my audience. I respect your intelligence. And if I feel like we didn't arrive at a verdict properly, we got to do this. So let's stick to the elements of the story and re-examine them. Because this whole thing just didn't sit right with me. And once I did all of my research, I found out I was right to think that way. So let's start with one thing at a time, okay? Here's the story. We already told it. The most telling thing about this story, obviously, is the green-skinned children. Green-skinned. They would eat nothing but raw, broad beans. Now, I know I touched on a possible vitamin deficiency, you know, that these kids may have had or something like that. We need something to tie, because I do have some pretty solid theories and solid things going on. But here's what we have to do. We have to adjust the timetable a little bit. 
And I know that the historical elite, the scholarly elite, right, they tell you you can't mess with dates. This is why they always screw up things with the Egyptian pharaohs. You can't mess with dates. You can either move them up a few years or down a few years, but you cannot screw with dates. Well, maybe we have to. Imagine in the future, if a thousand years from now, historians date World War II to the 1990s. You'll never find any physical evidence that it actually happened. You know it happened. It's a historical event. But people, there's always going to be confusion there. And they do the same thing with Egyptian history. They do the same thing with the fossil record, which I think we've proven beyond the shadow of a doubt. No questions, period, that that, sh- <laughs> that uh, fossil record needs to be reexamined. So this isn't the first time that we've seen something like that. I know they say you cannot screw with dates, but maybe we have to. And I'm telling you guys, I took an event that was historically documented, very well historically documented, and tied it to this time period. Since we didn't, we kind of didn't know exactly when this happened. I wanted to know exactly because once you do that, you could find outside things that corroborate it. So there was that, I started with that theory, remember? The theory argued by Paul Harris. He identifies that these were, these children may have been Flemish immigrants, remember, who arrived in Eastern England during the early 12th century and were later persecuted after Henry II became king in 1154. He proposes the children's homeland. He tries to explain everything, but he all ties it. So so I'm not going to say that this is, uh, this is something that I, like, I'm the only person that thought of this. But this is a fringe theory. I kind of wrote it off, you know, during the original episode. I gave it no mind. But then when I started looking at it, the Battle of Fornham. This is the civil war between King Henry II and his son, the young King Henry. Rebel forces led by Robert de Beaumont, 3rd Earl of Leicester, together with a huge number of Flemish mercenaries. They landed in Suffolk. And this is historical. This is not a, this is not myth. This actually happened. They were defeated by royal forces on the banks of the River Lark. The Flemish mercenaries were slaughtered. And what I propose is there might have been violence against the peaceful Flemish settlers in the area. Remember what happened right after 9-11. You remember what happened right after Pearl Harbor, the Japanese Americans and how our fucking government treated them. Remember what happened right after... Uh, well, I don't even have to go back that far. Remember all the shit that China was pulling just a few years ago? And then all the violence that happened towards Asian American people? Human beings, we've grown a lot. We've learned a lot. But there are some things that are never going to change. And the same thing, I believe, happened with these Flemish immigrants. The children... And see, here's the thing. This is really hard to do <laughs> because you got to line all of it up. So let's start with the Battle of Fornham, okay? You have these people from another land who were brought in. They're all mercenaries, right? They landed in Suffolk. They got their asses kicked by the royal forces. So these mercenaries are slaughtered. And their families, they couldn't go back anywhere. You know, they, they couldn't go home. You know, they... These are the Flemish people, man. I know that they derive mostly from Belgium, Flanders, Flemish, Dutch, Belgians. That's who these people are. 
but they were left with nothing. Their own government didn't give a shit about them. Society didn't give a shit about them. They were pariahs everywhere they went. And here's the thing. They weren't fed properly. They weren't given jobs. They weren't given homes. I mean, these people really, really suffered. One of the major things that you think about was, and I'm not jumping around here. This is going to make sense really soon. So let's line it up with the Battle of Forum. Okay? When we do that, we see a lot of things line up. And they say, you can't line up the green children of Woolpit with the Fornum bat. You just can't do it. Well, I did. And a lot of things are lining up. The children's homeland. Let's look at St. Martin's land first. St. Martin's land. How the fuck did I not notice this? The village of Fornum, St. Martin. This is just north of Barry St. Edmunds. And who lived there? Flemish cloth workers. In 1173, Fornum was the site of the Battle of Fornum. So this girl, how come this didn't make my ears perk up? I, I don't understand it. Fornum St. Martin. This place is just a hop, skip, and a jump away from where they saw, from where the green children of Woolpit were, were, were seen for the first time. I looked up this place, Fornum St. Martin. She said she's from St. Martin's land. And there's a fucking place right by there called St. Martin. Okay, see, now that we've moved the timetable to where it's supposed to go, I can't believe I didn't notice that. And what's kind of funny, what's kind of ironic, is that you look at one of the welcome signs that leads you into St. Martin, it depicts a green cave. <laughs> I'm not saying that's any evidence, I just think that's kind of funny. You ever see, like, sometimes you do that. Like, when you see research, you see little things pointing you in the right direction. Anyway. It means trout village, derived from the old English words forne meaning trout, ham meaning village, with the addition of its dedication to Martin of tours. The village is recorded, this goes back, way back, about as old as written English history, as a matter of fact. The little girl says she's from St. Martin's land, and there just happens to be a St. Martin right there. But the reason why I want to line this up with the Battle of Fornham is to explain the green skin. We mentioned this on the episode. Why didn't I dive into it further? What causes green skin? We even mentioned it. Hypo, I can't say this right. Hypochromic microcytic anemia. Characterized by the presence in the circulating of red blood cells, smaller than normal, poorly filled with hemoglobin. This is a vitamin deficiency, basically iron. It's a deficiency in iron. The most, this is, by the way, the most common cause of anemia throughout the world. Iron is required for hemoglobin formation. If the supply is insufficient to produce normal quantities, bone marrow is forced to produce cells that are smaller. Hemoglobin takes a dive. Intestinal tract gets affected. And it could even, in some severe cases, cause skin discoloration. Now, think about this. This is what really lined it up for me. It's an iron deficiency. At that time, at any time, what is the best way to put iron in your body? Beans. That was what the children, that's all they would eat. And they couldn't explain it themselves. Do you know why? Because it's a vitamin deficiency. Have you ever met anybody, and I'm not, I'm not talking about Pika, the disease, but I'm talking about, have you ever even seen 
or heard about. Anybody that has a crazy, you know, any kind of vitamin deficiency, they crave things and they eat things that they themselves don't even like. It's just they crave it. Why? Because your body needs whatever vitamin is in that. Your body knows what is in these certain things. So you would end up eating stuff that you normally wouldn't even give the time of day because your body is starved of it. These kids would eat nothing but raw broad beans. Those things are full of iron, full of antioxidants. The the children, well, the girl, I'll say, because the boy didn't survive. But she lost her green color after a while. What, what does that tell you? If she's from other some other plane of existence, if she's an alien, if she's this or that. Now, granted, if you go to, let's say you go to another planet or you visit another dimension or whatever... The physiology of that atmosphere is going to be different. There's going to be some physical changes. Maybe your skin would turn another color and then go right back once your body is used to it, right? You travel to another dimension. Let's say people don't breathe oxygen. They breathe methane. Let's say that they're not, uh, or ammonia. Let's say that they're not carbon-based life forms. Let's say they're silicon-based life forms. Silicon being a... um, uh, <laughs> I sound smart and dumb at the same time because I can't come up with words properly. You know, carbon, it, it's a, uh, it's an element. There we go. Stupid. It's an element that's really sticky. It's like the four negative piece, you know, puzzle piece. Everything fits into it. Silicon's the same way. Very sticky element. So what if you go to another place or another dimension or another planet? There's going to be some physical changes to you if you survive at all. Will your body return to normal after these physical changes go away? More than likely, no. If it's that extreme. But we don't have to guess. We don't have to do any of that. What does this look like to you? What should it have looked like to me? This is an iron deficiency. Plain and simple. She lost her green color afterward. The kids craved beans. She couldn't even explain why she had a thing for beans. Once she was <laughs> well-rested, as the report says, well-rested and feeling better, she enjoyed other foods. That sounds kind of cut and dry to me. That's another drop in the bucket for changing our verdict. But... We lined up everything with the Battle of Fornum for a reason. Because I say again, once you do that, and you just on the off chance think, maybe they fucked up the timetable. Maybe these, his these historians fucked it up. Maybe you have to find another event at the same time and move it. I know they say you can't, but man, just do it anyway. And then everything starts falling into place. This isn't the first time I've had to do it. You look at the Flemish immigrants. All of them were suffering vitamin deficiencies at the time. They weren't cared for. You want to know? <laughs> you want to know what the most common vitamin deficiency among the Flemish immigrants was and what most of, most, I'm talking like 90% of everyone that I found, the Flemish immigrants, you know what they did for work? They had, I, they had iron deficiencies and they all either were farmers or they had cattle. What did the kids say? They were walking their cattle, wandered into a cave, ended up appearing in this other place. They said the sky was like twilight. It was always dark. These are children whose parents, and these are children who knew nothing but war. 
who knew nothing but strife, whose parents were pariahs, whose uh, the other children would treat these kids like they were, like they were nothing. They were treated so poorly. The government wouldn't take care of them. Nobody gave, gave a shit about them. Yeah, their world's pretty damn dark. And considering Fornham, St. Martin, England, I love you, England. You're a beautiful land. But damn, it rains constantly. <laughs> You're pretty overcast. So I, <laughs> But Fornham, St. Martin looks pretty green to me, boy. One of the greenest places I've ever seen in England. But again, we don't have to stretch. They walked their cattle into this cave. They ended up being somewhere else. The way that she describes this place, I get it. It would be pretty dark to her, to these kids. But we don't have to go there. Here's another thing. These kids must have seemed like aliens to these people. These are closed-off communities. Fornham St. Martin, Woolpit. These are completely closed-off, tiny communities. Tiny these kids would have seemed like aliens to them, wearing strange clothing, speaking in strange tongues. And on top of that green skin, these people weren't doctors. This is the part in history, we're talking the Middle Ages. This is a point in history where education just went completely out the window. And there are many reasons for that. Religious, governmental, there's just a lot of reasons for it. But education took a dive. People were really backsliding as far as their development. That's why they call it the Dark Ages. We stopped progressing. We went back to the dirt and the mud. So these children, they wouldn't have known what a fucking iron deficiency was. They wouldn't know what that looked like. These kids are, have green skin and they want only beans. This is bizarre. Of course it became a story. So here's what I told myself. Since I moved the timetable, since I linked it with the with Fornum, and weird things just kind of started lining up. I started looking at other historians at the time. And I thought to myself, okay, what would be the smoking gun here? What would blow things up if I found another report at the time, just one, if I found only one of a person with green skin showing up somewhere else, that's what it is. That these kids are Flemish immigrants who somehow got lost, ran away from home, parents were killed, whatever. If I found one more report of a person with strange clothes, this, that, showing up with green skin somewhere, then we got it. Be obvious at that point. Everything would line up. And it would even explain the Flemish immigrant thing, right? Iron deficiency was a big deal back then. Had they seen, you know, people with uh, vitamin deficiencies? This particular one, I really don't think so. Beans are simple to grow, even if you're a peasant, even if you're poor. Things were really difficult for peasants, if not downright brutally backbreaking and horrible. They could still grow them beans, man. They, they probably weren't the healthiest people in the world by any stretch of the imagination. But imagine being such a pariah in these communities that you, you couldn't grow beans? You couldn't procure them? Man, things must have been horrible. So I started researching historians of the time. And I found a guy named Geoffrey of Monmouth. He, and this would also help me link, you know, what year this happened to which would line up even more stuff and prove that historians got the timetable wrong, right? 
Joffrey of Moonmouth reminds me a lot of Polybius, not the video game. <laughs> Polybius is, uh, he was an ancient Greek philosopher. This was the guy that is responsible. He is the father of modern investigative journalism. So instead of just reporting things from one side or being like, oh, here's the story and this is what happened. This is, Polybius was the first guy that said, maybe we should interview other sources. He was the first guy to interview people about what happened and then link things together and develop a story out of that. The father of investigative journalism. Joffrey of Moonmouth reminds me a lot of Polybius. He was born between 1090 and 1100 in Wales or Welsh, Welsh uh, marches. Reached the age of, of uh, majority in 1129. This guy was a historian in his time. You think, well, I mean, historian back then? Well, it wasn't history to them. It was present day. There were historians in the time of Christ. You know, you look at Josephus. Pliny the Elder goes way back. Yes, there were historians. Polybius, I just said. He was a philosopher by trade, but he still did a lot of that. Yes, there were historians back then. But there's a problem with historians. They either took historical events and wrote them down kind of like a ledger. Date and date and date. This happened, this happened, blah, blah, blah. It, it, it seriously is almost like a business ledger. Frank and Mary Stenton traded blah, blah, with the Bretons today. Stormy weather, two horses died. Yeah, that's just how they reported things. It's not like today where it's, you know, you read a story pretty much. Wasn't like that. And historians at the time had a, had a really bad habit of embellishing stories. I want to look up something because you know how I save a little bit of research. I want to look up Polybius. Not the video game, but computer, jeez. Okay, Polybius goes way back. We're talking 200 BC. But remember what I said. His method of investigative journalism would be completely lost on this society. Sorry, Britain, but it's true. This was the Dark Ages. This is where any kind of scientific achievement, any talk that wasn't God or wasn't what the church was saying, I'm not trying to get religious on you. I'm a Christian, okay? So, I, matter of fact, I'm kind of bashing my own, <laughs> if you want to see it that way. But it's true. Christians have just as much blood on their hands as anybody else. And on behalf of them, I would... Uh, I can't wait to get to a heaven so I could apologize for all those atrocities back then. And it sucks dummying it down to mistakes. Oh, we've all made our mistakes. Millions of people. We're talking about the Inquisition. Horrible. Horrible. It is a stain on us. And it'll, it's a stain that'll last forever. But I just say it like it is, man. And scientists were seeing as heretics. Everybody who was looking up at the stars or trying to figure things out in a, you know, what the way that I just, I don't understand it. People are still like that today. It's like that. It, it's, it's like science and God cannot coexist. I think science is the discovery of how God coded everything, the inner workings of everything behind. I don't, I don't want to get Christian-y or I'm not pushing anything down your throat or getting philosophical with you. I'm just trying to drive the point home that the dark ages this is when any kind of advancement went bye-bye, and you were punished by the powers that be for thinking outside of what that church told you. It was a messed up time, and it set us back for a long time. So think about that. Any advancements that even Polybius would have come up with would have been completely lost on these people. This is how they reported, and they often blew up stories. 
But if we could find a nugget, something in there, something that sounded even remotely like the Green Children of Woolpit, and we have it. And guess what? There is an obscure, extremely obscure report by Joffrey of Moonmouth that was written right in the time period of the Battle of Forum. Right there. The year when I saw, you know, when I when I saw it, it just it, uh, it stood out to me like it was written in blood. The reason why I keep leaning on the Battle of Fornum is because it was a really short conflict. Historically, if you could narrow things down, it never works out like this. Narrowing things down to, we're talking 1173 to 1174. That's it. We can narrow it down just like that. These people are putting it from 1135 to 1154. I've never seen historical things that we could narrow down that quickly. And what really clinches it, what, what, how we, I can prove that it happened during that exact time is because we have a report from Joffrey of Moonmouth. You don't want to know what year? That <laughs> just blows my mind. This little tiny one sentence, it is one sentence report written in 1174, possibly right after the conflict itself. Now, I know Suffolk is a big area, but it encompasses St. Martin's and Woolpit. That area, that big area, that's where all this is happening. There is a report, just one sentence from an obscure writing by an obscure historian that's actually known. And I'm going to say this, I'll leave this out there because uh, we got to look at everything. I'm not going to keep nothing from you. This guy is considered today historically unreliable because of his story embellishments. He's now today considered to be completely unreliable. But there is a one-sentence report from an obscure writing of his that says a dead man was found on the outskirts of Suffolk, 1174, who had green skin. So here we have... Another report at the same exact time of a dead man says nothing about where he's from. The only thing it mentions was strange clothing. A dead man with strange clothing whose skin was green. Right in the area in question, right about the same time as the Battle of Fornum. I know historians are saying you cannot line it up with the Battle of Fornum. These couldn't be Flemish immigrants. Well, I think I've put a pretty fucking compelling case, historians. Flemish immigrants mostly had iron deficiencies. The children were craving beans as soon as they had, or the girl, as soon as she had them, she was miraculously cured and green tint went away. If she was from other civilization or other planet or other dimension or whatever, I just don't see that green skin thing disappearing and her looking like everybody else. I just don't see that happening. She described a bizarre land called St. Martin's Land, where it's always dark and everything is green. Well, there's a fucking town that's within walking distance called St. Martin, Fornum St. Martin. But the reason I didn't link them is because we didn't have the Battle of St. Martin. To, we didn't have that glue there. I'll say it before and I'll say it again. I've said it a million times on this episode. Historians are saying you cannot link the Battle of Fornum. Well, I did. And look what happened. 
now that we had it narrowed down to two years, I find another report from a historian at the time, granted considered to be historically inaccurate. The year 1174, man found dead in a cave, strange clothing, green skin. Case fucking closed. I respect my audience, like I said. And if I feel like we missed the mark, if we screwed the pooch, we gotta go back. The Green Children of Woolpit. I'm gonna take out another stamp. Let's take out that big black marker <laughs> that the government loves so much. We're gonna mark debunked. As far as these kids being from some other dimension or weird place or aliens or whatever they're saying. Did this event happen? Oh, you bet your ass it did. The only two examples we have of the Green Children of Woolpit, right? The only two examples we have are from two, I wouldn't say historians, but two well-respected people. Ralph of Coggeshall, William of Newburgh, right? The two only people who wrote down this account. But we, one of the guys was like a gazillion miles away in the right time period, but the other one was in the area but he wasn't even close to the time. So how I do it is I blend their two stories together. I take both of them as a whole. Think of like the four Gospels of the Christian Bible. They're seen from, this is a Gospel written from four different viewpoints. Of course, they're going to be different. So the smartest thing to do is to take all four of these stories and wrap them all into one. Take everything into account, right? These guys were the abbots of... Abbey. They worked at abbeys. Uh, they worked at priories. These guys were very well respected. They didn't make shit up. They didn't have a reputation, sorry, like Joffrey of Monmouth. I know that he was a pretty big deal in his day. And it's kind of sad that someone like this isn't a household name. But he's kind of been smeared throughout history a little bit. Because we found out that a lot of things he was saying, which was standard kind of historian stuff at the time, embellishing things. But what? That's what bugs the shit out of me. That's what makes me think even more that this story is legitimate. Because it's mentioned in one paragraph in an obscure fucking piece of writing that I almost gave up looking for. Found it completely by accident. If it was something that explosive, and you think to yourself, what if he knew about the Woolpit thing? What if he did? Well, if he did, it would have been just as sensational back then as it would be today. If anything were to be blown up and made more than one damn sentence, it would have been this. Even then, something this weird, we have two reports of it happening. It happened. The Green Children of Woolpit. That event occurred. But were they visitors from another plane of existence? Were they visitors from some other whatever? Were they aliens? Debunked. So, yeah. <laughs> It kind of makes you think, doesn't it? It makes me think. How much historians and the scholarly elite are fucking things up? Either because of pride or they just are too scared to admit certain things. Too frightened to realize there's more to this world than we think. There's more to this than our rational minds. Let me throw something at you. They say that the biblical exodus cannot, is, is linked to 
Pharaoh Ramses. You cannot, they said, you cannot, you cannot fuck with biblical dates. You can't do it. This is what gave me the notion that sometimes you have to move dates or even just try it. And when you do, I promise, weird things like this, historical weird things, they will line up in place like fucking pegs, man. They, they will, I promise. That's how you know you got it right. They say it was King Ramses. They said it was this pharaoh. It was this pharaoh. There is a pharaoh in about 1500 BC, which historically, no way. No way the exodus happened during that time period, they say. Fine, fine. Just for fun, let's say we move it to 1500 BC, okay? Just for fun. Pharaoh Akhamose was known for expelling an entire race of people called the Hyksos. Basically, they were Hebrew people. Okay, that sounds like the exodus to me. But maybe Pharaoh Akhamose was named a certain way for a certain reason. Akhamose, the son is born. But could have been named because of a play on words. And this tells you, this should prove to you right here, that we should take everything historians say with a grain of salt. Akhamose, the brother of Moses. That's all, friends. Special thanks to this week's sponsors who make this show possible. Make sure to check out the link to our Patreon page in this episode's description, where as little as $1 a month, you can get everything from bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, giveaways of certain tiers, outtakes, bloopers, a podcast just for the patrons. Who the fuck does that? Special thanks to the patrons, by the way. The Kunkel Homestead YouTube channel, Kristen Belt, Donald Haynes, Dillagav. Thank you guys so much for being patrons. Thanks for making this show go. Wouldn't exist without you. Anyway, that is all we got. Now, are we ever going to run out of strange places to talk about? I don't think so. Because every town has a strange place, and maybe one day, we'll visit yours. The Strange Places podcast is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a music label for truly independent artists. They will distribute and share your music on every streaming platform the internet has to offer. And the best part is that you keep all of your royalties. In fact, DistroKid has made history, marking the first time that an artist on the charts made 100% of their earnings. This is the music industry's worst nightmare, giving indie artists complete control over their art. For only 20 bucks a year, you can upload unlimited music, and with the split feature, you can split a percentage of the earnings to your bandmates. If you click the affiliate link in this episode's description, you get 7% off the first year. But did I mention that after that, it's only 20 bucks a freaking year? I've been a musician for a long time. My music is heard all over the world, and yours should be too. Click the link in this episode's description to not only support strange places, but put control of your own music back into your hands. No contracts, no hidden clauses, no lovely coin men in their lovely, lovely suits. Thanks to DistroKid for being a sponsor and giving this old dog an audience.